Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble or bumble like a crack of fire gumbo. Standing on the ground like big bro. Coming worms and charts. And I'm doing it on my charts. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Clones Consulting at Clones Coach on Instagram and TikTok, and they just call me the mouth of the South. And alongside of me, and I'm very excited about this, is the claim wizard herself, Miss Lynette Young. And as always, the valuably virtuesome, the valiantly vivacious, the one, the only, Miss Donna Lavelle, a.k.a. Baby cakes. How's it going, everybody? Good. Good. How you doing, Miss Lynette? Do you come up with? You have to come up with new adjectives every week. I do. I do. do. I, that's that's kind of a thing, and I didn't really plan on that. It just kind of worked out that, that way. So yeah. Spicy. <laughs> I gotta I gotta keep it fresh. That way, you know you're listening to the right episode. Is this the right episode? Because this is it the was vi- the vivaciously <laughs> virtuous episode. <laughs> yeah, it's that one. I'll know it's the right one. You know, so in case you can't remember, so I I, I help delineate the in, uh, the intros with some uh, fresh alliterations each and every week. <laughs> So we're in the middle of show season. It's kind of crazy. I'm kind of surprised you're not at IRE. So, because no, um, it's going listen, on right my, now as we're recording this. My liver can't. I can't. My liver. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I, trust me, I wanted to go. Um, we're kind of like up ramping the types of conferences we go to. We had a whole bunch kind of hit us in the face at the same time. But yeah, next go around. This time around, I'm just kind of watching from the sidelines lines and watching everybody's Instagram reels. And that's about it. I completely get it. Um, and you know, sometimes you can't hit them all. You can't, you can't make every single one of them. You kind of got to pick the ones that are winners. And, um, I, I completely understand. And I don't know that I could handle Vegas with IRE and the monster that that thing is while coupled with the Super Bowl. Yeah. Man, that would just be absolutely the, insane. The, the Swifty Bowl. <laughs> God, the Swifty Bowl. I love that. that Speaking of the Swifty Bowl, um, it is now time for Fun Facts with Baby Cakes. Yay. Fun Facts with Baby Cakes is brought to you by Inc. The best way to get paid after a property claim. Inc. Save time, get paid. Um, I have some very interesting Super Bowl facts. Super Bowl facts. I love sports, yes. so hit me with them. So 20 years ago was a day that will live in infamy for youth groups all over the world. Oh, yeah. Is that a fact? (laughs) Yes. 20 years ago was Nipplegate at the Super Bowl. Oh, yes. I remember. I remember Miss uh, Janet Jackson. Yep. And the illustrious. My kids saw their first nipple that night. They did. Yeah. (laughs) Right there. (laughs) At the youth group. At the youth group church event. (laughs) What a great place to see a nipple. I've seen a few of those. So (laughs) So, that um, facilitated a lot of, of stuff that happened because of that. So the largest fine was handed down by the FCC. 55. No. $550,000 $550,000 fine. Largest fine in history. Yep. It was wow. repealed by the courts, though. It, oh, okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, lucky CBS there. <laughs> the phrase wardrobe malfunction was coined because of that. 
they that's that's where we got that term. Wardrobe Who was the guy she was dancing with? Justin, Justin Timberlake. Tried to, Justin Timberlake tried to cover her up. Okay. Yeah, Justin Timberlake did try to cover it up. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. And that she was banned for what twenty years? Fifteen years. Fifteen yeah, years. Yeah, something. Yeah, so she was blackballed from like all of Viacom's, um, all of Viacom's like subsidiaries. So CBS, all of Viacom's radio stations, any of the movies. Yeah, so she was blackballed from Viacom. And nothing stuff. happened to Justin. Not one thing. Well, he got richer. Yeah, <laughs> that did happen to him. <laughs> Um, let's see. So it was the most watched, the most recorded and rewatched TV moment in TiVo history and enticed 35,000 new subscribers. So this is before like DVRs. Yeah. Right. And so people subscribe to it so that they could rewind and watch it or so that if anything like that. So if any nipple popped out again. Ever again, they were, they were prepared. They will never miss another nipple. (laughs) 35,000. They would never see miss. if that were now. They would just watch it on TikTok. They wouldn't need yeah. to subscribe. Yeah. it'd be it'd well, be it, like in thirty seconds. It would have been online. Yep. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that if it were now, because um, let's see. So YouTube, it was the driving inspiration for the creation of YouTube. So <laughs> it <laughs> it is the reason. Yes, in fact, it is the reason. That it, um, I forget the guy's name. Um, I forget his name. I, John uh, Jod Kareem. Uh, Jawed Kareem. Yes, Kareem. yeah, is YouTube's co-founder and said that that was his driving inspiration to invent YouTube. So the very platform you are listening to this on, possibly if you're listening to it on the Paint of the Claim presents on YouTube, if this is where you're listening to it is the very fact that we're here being able to do this was inspired by Janet Jackson's pierced nipple. <laughs> it's a fact. Yeah. So <laughs> so we all owe a debt of gratitude. <laughs> <laughs> so also a fun fact about the Super Bowl is Taylor Swift and her Swifties have generated an equivalent brand value of $331.5 million for the KC Chiefs and she isn't even on the roster. <laughs> so she's making them more brand value yeah. than anybody that actually works for them. That's amazing. I have one more yeah. fact that I want to add that's not on the run sheet. Um, the reason that they have such a big Super Bowl halftime show is because of the TV show in Living Color. So way back when that show was on the air, they they had a a um a special that was going on right during the halftime show. So everybody turned the channel and went to, I guess it was on Fox at that time. Yeah, it was. A, they yeah. all went to Fox to watch in living color instead of st- staying on the game. So, so now they have a big halftime show. So people don't turn, don't change the channel. So for our younger yeah. audience, a living color is responsible for great, awesome talents, such as Jamin Wayans, Jim Carrey. Um, there was a couple of other JLo. Uh, yeah, Jennifer Lopez was on there. There were some. There's some other people that went through that through their short tenure, um, and it's probably the only thing that came close to ever rivaling Saturday Night Live yep. as far as that format goes. So, yep. and now yeah. you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. But we don't go. know all the oh. we, we don't know all the bullshit there's because there's one more there's one more small piece of bullshit that we need to find out from Lynette. She oh yeah, yeah, it's bougie bullshit. I saw that. Um, <laughs> So in Vegas this week, because of the Super Bowl, and I feel bad for the IRA guys flying in their private planes, it's going to be one of the biggest <laughs> gridlock. Yeah, right. Um, 
it is going to be one of the biggest gridlocks at the air the airports for they have over a thousand private planes and jets coming in and staying parked for the weekend so they don't have a place to put them all. Oh, don't you bum, feel bad? Bum. They have to double parallel park their private jets because there oh, will not be enough space to terrible. park all of the so, private planes. We're gonna get dinged. Oh yeah, <laughs> bunch of door dings. Where do you keep the keys to a jet? <laughs> no. You, the, is the pilot ever shown up to fly out? You know, it's like, oh, damn, left my keys on the nightstand in the Seagan Hotel. Hang on, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we have some mechanical difficulties. So if you'll just stand by, we will get you departed just as quickly as possible. Stand in the red zone. We'll keep you updated as things develop. I've got to go get the keys. I forgot. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if that's what happens. But, I mean, pilots are even subject to bad days, right? <laughs> so Yes. Anyway, hopefully not too often. Uh, hopefully not too often. <laughs> yeah, because there's one really bad. Anyway, guys, I am going to move on with the show while <laughs> I could sit here and do all this fun stuff. Guys, we have got an amazing show. Um, we're going to be talking about the importance of workflow. We're going to get into all kinds of things like the differences between CRMs and workflow managers and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I want to remind you that this is going to come to you in three separate rounds when you hear this sound. You know that the round has begun, and when you hear this sound, you know that the round is over. Now, I want to remind you, Lynette and I will not be debating. We are merely commentating on the rumble that you yourself are in, slugging it out day to day, trying to figure out what comes next. So we're going to try to keep you informed, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this show. And round one starts right after this. Public adjusters, roofers, and restoration contractors, listen up. This is Jeremy Lavelle, host of The Rumble, and I am hosting a very unique training event called Control the Narrative. I will be unpacking all of my tips, tricks, and tools in a one-of-a-kind, one-day masterclass. If you want to learn practical claim strategy, how to gather the actual documentation that gets the claim approved, and how to manage and organize multiple claims, you are going to want to sign up for this event. Control the Narrative is being held on March the 5th at Alamo Draft House in Irving, Texas. You will receive a full day of training, access to all the tools and technology used in the process. You're going to get free swag, and most of all, you're going to get all of your questions answered. Lunch is going to be provided, and there's going to be a happy hour immediately following the training. So go to remedyclaims.com training to register. There's only 50 seats available, so don't wait. Register now, and I'll see you on the next one. Round one, key elements of a workflow. So one of the things I want to establish just quick, kind of out of the gate, there is a difference between a CRM, okay, and a workflow manager. So I can, I think we can all agree that if you're going to have some sort of established workflow, what we want to do is digitize that, have it accessible across multiple devices Automate because it. I had a very sophisticated one. I had a very sophisticated workflow. It was called the post-it note method where I just wrote stuff down <laughs> on a post-it note. Now, now, while it has its flaws, it was a viable way that I did things, but I do not recommend it. So we're going to get into all of this. But um, Lynette, I'm just going to throw this to you while I believe I know. <laughs> but uh, for our listeners and the kids following along at home, kind of what is the difference and why do we want to delineate the difference between a CRM and a workflow? 
Um, well, we kind of made up the word workflow at Claim Wizard just because we didn't know what to call it. We've been Claim Wizard right now is about ten and a half years old, although we've been writing software since uh, 1994 and put in a lot of these things back then. But people always say like, "Oh, you're not really a great CRM," and I'm like, "That's because we're not." That's awesome because we're not. So if we're a little bit good of a CRM, I'm kind of glad for that. CRM stands for Customer Relationship Manager, and we're not managing customers, we're managing claims. So I guess maybe we could rename it Claim Relationship, maybe? maybe yeah, it still that? would be a CRM. It but still it, would I mean, work. Yeah, but I kind think of. it would be called a Claim Nightmare Manager. So that's. <laughs> I think we may have to change yes. some of the initials. Uh, I think you should put a trademark on the end of that right now, because that's what it is <laughs> right now. I want to see a reserve, like the thing. Um, yeah, yeah so go. what we do is we drag people through the claims process, whether they like it or not, <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, yes, your client is important, but not in the context of the day-to-day -day of working the claim. Um, they're... Not to sound, you know, disrespectful about it, but once you get that claim in, like you're as a public adjuster or first party professional, if you're working a claim, your job is the damages, the, you know, the policy um, interpretation, the, you know, that sort of thing, estimating the right amounts. It's not you're dealing with the client only because they own the property, but really what you're focusing on is the property itself and damage for indemnification. So that's what we built because back when we started this in the early 1990s, we saw, I mean, listen, it was Lotus one, two, three spreadsheets. Like, does anybody remember that? Like we, I there, do. Was no, there was no I Excel, do. right? I yeah. love Lotus products. We were talking about that the other day. I missed them. They had this really good like notebook, like electronic, like, book like on your computer that when you would keep your contacts in, I, I just loved all of it. I forget what it was called, but for us, it's pushing you through the claim, like working with people like that part of the CRM part is actually pretty small, but when you're talking about working the actual life cycle of a claim, that's where we start really chunking things down, wanting automation, wanting really to talk about um, efficiency, optimization, and to be completely honest, I don't even want to say this out loud, but I'm going to say it out loud. It really has nothing to do with the software, right? So you could use a piece of software horribly or not at all, or try to make it work completely different. Like, I don't know, take, take my system and try to run a shoe store with it. Like it just, if you're not using the tool properly, it's, of course it's going to suck or not get to the best that you need it to. But on the flip side, if you have the tools in the way of like your processes and all the boring stuff nobody wants to talk about, uh, then really any system that is built for you should work, if that makes sense, P including post-it notes, because I'm still a fan of post-it notes. Well, I mean, I still use them um, or the back of gum wrappers, just about anything I can jot a note down on. A note down on. Um, I, I'll, I'll use anything within, you know, the back of an envelope, those kinds yeah. of things. All of those are still viable tools. I don't want to I don't necessarily want to get a, get away from that necessarily. But, yeah, a workflow manager, especially kind of in our um execution of what we do even here at remedy claims we've got two very clear separated out portions of the business so to speak you've got um you, you when you're working within a claim it is it is what i refer to as this is how the sausage is made and most of the time 
People don't really care how the sausage is made. They don't want to know that it's gone to this estimating people or they don't want to know whether or not it's, you know, there are there are key points that that clients may be interested in, such as when somebody's going to show up at their house, you know, and inspect things. But they don't really need to know kind of the finer points of whether or not what's going on. Now, I know that good workflows will also communicate to the client as it pertains to actionable, actionable intel by them, you know, stuff that they need to know that what's going on. It also lets them know that you're working for them. So I'm not saying that they're not involved in it by any stretch of the imagination, but whether or not we, you know, kind of what informs our strategy and how we go about doing what we do. So one of the things, one of the steps in our workflow, obviously, is like a policy review and what are the Mm -hmm. pertinent endorsements or whatever. Now, the homeowner doesn't so much really care about that. Okay. Um, and there's, there's many of these steps kind of along the way of what's going on. And it, and within your workflow is kind of where your own little private vernacular happens. What your, what the different acronyms that you have, you know, the different sort of language speak that you have within your organization. And even if you're a solo person, you're still going to develop sort of these own little small details about how you handle things and how you process the information. Whereas on a CRM side, that is all about client communication. That is 100%. And it usually falls under the category of something like business. You know, it's going to fall under the category of business development and how you maintain the relationship with the client, not just through the claims process, but as future communication goes when you don't have a claim with them. And that could be, you know, just making them aware of the upcoming weather season. So if you're in Florida, you're going to let them know, hey, we're coming into hurricane season. Remember us if, you know, while we hope you don't have a loss, if you have one, remember this and remember these few little tips to get prepared for hurricane season. Don't wait to buy sandbags when it's in the Gulf, you know, maybe go get some (laughs) sandbags now, you know, little things like that, you know, preparedness, those kinds of things as we want to communicate with them. Um, It's also going to help you, you know, with customer appreciation. Like if you want to track birthdays and you want to track, um, you know, these specific events that happen in their life, just to kind of keep your name in front of them. Those are all great things that you want with the CRM. We use it for ad campaigns, just social media at large. Mm -hmm. So it may not be a one-on-one contact. We use CRMs, um, you know, to, to inform our social media. And the other thing our CRM does for us is it 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 pretty much hosts our website it's the back end of our website so um there's a lot of things and a lot of good things about a crm but completely removed and separate from that crm and its task and its functionality is our workflow manager and the importance of a workflow is is crucial because all joking aside i literally use the post-it note method I mean, they were stuck to my monitor, Lynette. I'm not kidding you. And it doesn't take, and, and, you know, if you're, if you're a good PA, you know, and you're getting calls coming in and you're getting all this stuff, things are going to fall through the cracks, even with a well-functioning, well-thought-out, you know, workflow place in, 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 in place, you can still have things fall through the crack if you are not diligent about updating those individual files and using that workflow to inform what comes next. Because look, a workflow brings a lot of clarity and a lot of transparency to what's going on. So it's not just with your client, but it's with the 
other people that are involved with it, whether it's your vendors, whether it's your um, <clears throat> whether it's, uh, you know, just the, the outsourcing that you may use in those situations. It does a lot of that kind of stuff and it fosters collaboration. It fosters um, efficiency. Um, you know, Lynette said it earlier, efficiency and optimization. These workflows, these are the important key elements that you're wanting to have in a workflow. And um, moreover, you want some sort of chronological effort to a workflow. So, Lynette, how do you help people when it, whether it's with Claim Wizard or with any other? And I, and I really don't want this to be an infomercial about Claim Wizard no, as much as don't I make want it be that way. <laughs> I really don't want to make it be that way. It's just so easy to reference one because I use it. And the other is because you know everything about it. I, I, but what I'm saying is, is no matter what it is that you pick, there should be some sort of chronological effort there. Right. And so yes. how do you help people establish that chronological effort? And what would you suggest as far as that goes, making those determinations? So, I've been working with, at this point, public adjusting companies for 27 years. And I think I've worked with roughly a thousand of them over those 27 years. And in that time, my own, you know, I've kind of scoped down on what I need to do. And actually, I work very little in the actual claim wizard software side of things at this point, because I hired people smarter than me. <laughs> and they and they run, you know, RevOps, they run that side. They're the ones that support everybody when you call or email, um, things like that. So would I kind of did was I honed my skills into a slightly bigger area, a little bit away from the software. So I became a Clockwork certified partner, which uh, Clockwork is the, right now it's the number one operational efficiency program for small businesses. So think of like Lean Six Sigma or something along those lines that used to do at a really big, you know, corporation or um, logistics company or something it's, it's kind of that, but for small businesses and I've taken it and I make it specifically for public adjusters since I've worked with y'all for half my life. So really what we do is we kind of go in and understanding that a lot of the, the workflow in Claim Wizard was built around my ideas of how small businesses that happen to have the service of public adjusting needed to help operate. And now kind of that that's in and now I've backed up and now we do more of the consulting and coaching on that. So I have um, uh, the claim.club. So the, it, the club is .club, not C-O-N kind of thing for the internet. You can buy all kinds of cool domains now. But yeah. the claim club is someplace where we offer a ton of re free resources, but a lot of information on clockwork. So you could think I always send the book out to people. You could buy the book. You could go online. I have videos on it and stuff like that. But really what it is, it's about getting your processes set and processes is such an unsexy thing. Um, my really good friend, Daniel, and I always joke because on the EOS, on the uh, rocket fuel for entrepreneur operating systems, we both register very high as integrators and most people are visionary. So most people just want to come up with the ideas and we're the ones that are like rolling up our sleeves, like, let's get this done. Yes. I'm and a visionary. <laughs> just let me throw ideas and let me go on vacation. That's what yes, I like to do. Just, I'm yeah, a visionary. You, <laughs> you spray, you just dump everything on us. And we're like, yes, get out of our way. Get out. We're we going to get this done now. When we, when we show up and when we yes. leave, that's, that's all we're we looking for. We just want to get in and we make the best operational people for that very reason, because we sure. love, like, talk to me about SOPs. I'll start getting a little faint. Like, I love it. Um, so really, because most public adjusting companies, 
Louisiana, I'm not looking at you, that really operate in the same structure. And there's places all along the the journey for secret sauce. So that's where I build in like say 85% or 80% of clockworking things about how to make sure that you have your documentation down right, where it's not some standard operating procedure just sitting on a shelf in somebody's office that nobody cares about. These are all living documents that we wind up uh, coaching people to create. So they can literally, when storm season comes and the cats are rolling, they can plop somebody in a chair, say, here's your claim wizard login. Here's all of the SOPs. Like here's how to enter a new client. Here's how to enter notes. Here's how to do all these things. And they can plug them in and just go and not have to burn their time in a busy time teaching someone new. So we kind of mix both. I mix the clockwork uh, functionality with all my knowledge of public adjusting and get those companies. I, a couple of the companies that I've worked with, we've got them from four or five people that just happen to start up and just happen to have a cat drop in their backyard to 160 or 170 in their office and, and on the uh, road. So you can ramp up pretty quack, quick if you put your processes in place, but you have to shut up and write them down first. <laughs> well, I think, I think, you know, when you, 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 you alluded to, to standard operating procedures and I mean, guys, you can get as granular as you want, or you can kind of be as broad as you want. And I mean, and that's one of the things that I am personally struggling with right now is having those documented things because I, I'm one of those people that's sort of a Swiss army knife. I've kind of worked in every facet. I'm not saying that I'm good at all of it, but I've had the opportunity for lack of a better explanation to cross train in almost every facet of claims handling, you know, both on the carrier side and as well on this side, whether it's working with a contractor or, you know, and it's not just, not just one kind of contractor, but roofing contractors, mitigation contractors, restoration contractors. I've, 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 I've had a pretty checkered, um, you know, job history when it comes to, you know, just exposure to those things. And, and believe it or not, a lot of my stuff, I slum dog out there, you know, it's like, I remember this one time when I was standing next to a truck driver at a loves and he was talking and I just pulled this information <laughs> from all sorts of different resources. And it's kind of crazy, but the importance of the importance of all of these things is really crucial. And one of the things that I want to, that I'm, that we're about to get into as we close out round one is, is, you know, just because you work by yourself doesn't exonerate you from being concerned about these things. And we're talking about a huge error on these. Do you have any final thoughts on round one that you want to wrap things up with? Because I'm, I'm ready to move on. Uh, um, you know, we're, I say start high. Don't go, don't go into the weeds too quick. I don't want to hear about processes or you wrote down a checklist that says put green folder in green folder filing cabinet, like too much. Sure. Big yeah. broad strokes, <laughs> fill in the details later. Don't yeah, I think that it. that's I think that's great advice. I mean, and it's and it's a much easier place to start. Well, guys, that's going to do it for round one. I warned you that it was going to go fast. I did, but <laughs> we're going to get into round two. Uh, it starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle 
on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, things to watch out for when you're working alone. Now, I could go on and 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 on about what it's like to work alone. Um, while I have always had kind of Donna at my side when it comes to sort of the, the meat and potatoes of claims handling, I have pretty much been the guy that has handled it for our company um, you know, since our inception four years ago. And it, it, it's a struggle. And if you don't pay attention to it, it can get on top of you. And so one of the things as a, and I think it's really cool that you're this clockwork coach, you know what I'm saying? And I, <laughs> and, and we've got a lot of things here. We've got a lot of bullet points that we can get into, but one of the things that I want to ask you about working alone and it pertains to outsourcing um, and the overlap that exists when if you subscribe to this software versus that software and well and i mean and there's all these different softwares and i'm just going to throw out a few to give you an example mm -hmm. um so you can have your crm and you can have your workflow and you've got all of that going again you're one person and then you've got company cam that walks in and shows up and then you've got ink that walks in and shows up and then you've got this software package that does this magical thing whether it's you know getting roof reports and then you've got this magical software that helps you do moisture and all of this kind of stuff and what happens is and like i you know i even throw in my telephone system which is nextiva all of the overlap that comes in with all of these because they all seem to be able to maintain a record you know you know they all have kind of repeated records over and over and over again mm -hmm. and while there's solutions out there lynette i want to ask you from a coach's perspective what does that solo operator do and how do they cut through the noise of stuff they really don't need? And what would you tell that guy that's working by himself and he's got all of these software packages that he's paying, you know, hundreds of dollars a month to maintain? Um, first of all, I'll say that one of the things that I ran into early with this is because public adjusters, it's a service-based industry. So you're selling your intelligence and your your time and your service that it's not like you have a retail store and have inventory or things like that. So the assumption is I'm selling a service. I should show up and I am the service. But there you need tools in the back end to actually support what you're doing. So don't think that, and I just talked to someone the other day. He's like, yeah, I have an email address and a phone and I could and my license. I'm good to go. And I'm like, you're not you're not going to retain all of this information in your head. You're not going to be able to know the intricacies of all of this. Um, you know, you're maybe four or five, 10 files, but not a hundred, hopefully, you know, whatever you wind up getting. So realize that just because you're a service doesn't mean that you can't, and you don't have to invest in tools in your business. But the second thing I would say is, so I have a video out there and I'll explain it to you really quickly. So it's called $1, $10, $100 work. And what this is, is think about the core. You, oh, you've seen it? No, 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 no. You, we, okay. So full disclosure, Lynette, Lynette and I have, have talked on, on many occasions and I have, I have, I have ripped off free coaching from her a lot. 
<laughs> That's fine. I put a lot all out of, there. I don't mind. All under the auspices of, while I'm waiting on my drink, let me ask you a question. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's fine. But the $1, um, $10, $100 work is basically you find the core of what you do and what adds the most value for your company and for your clients, right? So if you're a solo person, you're doing all of those things. Your $100 work is actually the adjustment and um, of the claim and the, you know, policy, uh, picking out, you know, strategy. coverage and policies and stuff like that, the strategy. That's your $100 work. Your $1 work is, I don't know, scrubbing a toilet at the office or washing your truck or running and getting more um, business cards made, right? But that's somebody else's $100 work. If you had an admin and that's what he or she did, their job could revolve around make sure the work truck's clean all the time, make sure we always have a box of business cards in the truck, you know, that sort of thing. So as you look, and this is part of what I do with, I kind of shoehorned it into to uh, clockwork a little bit. But as you go through your day, think about even on post-it notes, put three up on the on your computer. And every time you do something that is like your zone of genius, like the thing that actually you love to do. And even if I talk to some PAs and they really love to just get the deal and get it in and throw it over and, you know, for somebody else to deal with, or they really love doing estimates and they're good at it and they hate talking to the carriers. So even within your job role, you can narrow down the thing that you really love that drives you passion and that you're good at. Because if you suck at something and you love to do it, it's, that part doesn't work. But do that. And then the $10 work would be, yeah, going to networking events, going to, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, chamber of commerce going in, you know, what I call war driving for blue tarps or how, you know, door knocking, whatever those things are, they're valuable for your business, but are you really this person that's supposed to do it? So, and then the $1 work is like, keep your work truck clean, keep the forms in the car, you know, make sure I have extra batteries for my phone, whatever the thing is. So when you look at the $1, $10, $100 work as a solopreneur, you can still carve those out and you can say, where is my time best being spent? If I'm spending all of my time on $100 works, I can spend 70 hours on $100 work on, on $1. Well, I made 70 hours, $70, or I could work one hour in $100 work and get more money in less amount of time. So think about your time in relationship to money. And of course, it doesn't actually come down to the those dollars amounts, but it's just the weight and the gravitas given to the amount of tasks and the time that you're spending to do it. So you might want to start peeling this off and say, hey, if I could hire someone for 20 hours a week, it's going to cost me three hours of my actual work. So I'm getting back, you know, a lot more time for what I'm spending kind of thing. And what can I do in those extra 20 hours? Could I sign three new claims? Could I close three more, you know, deals with carriers? Could I go in and sit through and go through all my paperwork and find, um, you know, I don't know supplements on everything like you could probably go through and find a better use of your time than washing your car and refilling your business card so that's where i would say start with a solopreneur and as it gets bigger and your company grows if that's what you want because some people don't want that that's totally cool um you could see are you doing the right things are you doing stupid things that shouldn't be on your plate that you can outsource to somebody else let it be their 100 dollars work and you stick on yours so let me ask you this, um, and and obviously I don't want to jump ahead to round three here, but a lot of this when it comes to when it comes to one dollar work, ten dollar work, three and uh, hundred dollar work, trying to trying to kind of flesh that out and figure that out can be a little bit arduous in that, um, 
you know, when you're considering margins and, and how much you're trying to bring in versus what you actually need to live on and those sorts of things, you know what I mean? When it, when it kind of comes down to the money that you actually have to put in your pocket to pay your mortgage, that kind of deal. So, um, how, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you advise somebody to, when they're making that determination versus the workload that they're taking on, does that, does the workload kind of inform some of this kind of stuff? You know, yes. does that make, Absolutely. am I, am I making sense here? I don't even know. So <laughs> I, I would just ask about that because I'm, I'm, as I stammer across this, you know, and not being able to ask it, I know one of my biggest concerns is, is how do I know I can afford this? And I, and I'm really going to get into that in round three, as far as the questions go, but that's kind of, you know, when you're trying to operate in your gifting, because guys, I would say running away, the thing that you want to focus on and the thing that is going to result in hundred dollar work for you as as Lynette would put it, is is stuff that you're good at. That's the stuff because nothing in the world succeeds like success. And so when you're good at something and it produces a level of results that is not just predictable, but but preferable, you know, it's like when I, you know, a lot of people think that I would be the greatest salesperson in the world because I like to talk. And I'm going to tell you that is probably one of my, you know, personally is one of my weakest things. Yeah. You know, if it's like yeah. trying to go out and, and prospect, prospecting is not is not my strong suit. I am not very good at it. Now, if you walk up and go, hey, do you know anything about insurance claims? And you and you kind of have that walking into the thing. It's like, well, pack a lunch, buddy, because I can because <laughs> I can be here all day. You know, it's like I'm better at that when there when there is a need or a desire present and I'm aware of it. But that's not really prospecting, you know, and yeah. so I'm not good at prospecting. So that would be something specifically that I would want to have somebody else do one because I'm not good at it. And and I would think that that would kind of fall under at some level, at least ten dollar work. Right. Yeah. And because I don't have time to prospect because I'm handling the stuff that's already in the door. Right. So how do you help people make that determination mm. on what how to divide that There's stuff up? So much to unpack here. So first, I'll say if you don't think you can afford someone. And this comes from Mike Michalowicz's, one of his very first books, which was called Profit First. I think it's probably one of his most popular, um, is take the money out of your company and put it aside. He recommends in a whole nother, he likes opening bank, bank accounts all over the place. I say you can just earmark it. Take that money aside of what you think it would cost to, to pay someone and do it for three to six months and see if your business can live without it. And if they can, well, then you could hire someone and then you still have that nest egg to fall back on if you needed to. But if you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, we can't actually do business without this, then you know at least the delta that you're missing there. If you're putting $500 away a month and you really can only afford $300, do you know your delta needs to come up by $200 in order, to, at least to in order to be able to hire someone and not worry about like paycheck to paycheck kind of thing. But one of the first things, and this is always with solopreneurs or dynamic duos, which is husband and wife teams, right? Where one, because it's not always a husband, is a public adjuster and one is maybe office support um, doing all the really hard work, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> just going to say that. Just going to say you. that. It's the truth. It's the truth, Don. I got you back. Um, but what they do is they'll say, I don't, I want to grow my business or I don't have enough, I'm not bringing in enough money with the business that I'm bringing in. 
and you can't really change your margins or you can't change your fees, right? Their fees are kind of what your fees are. You can change your margins. But the, the first thing they want to go after is a salesperson. What is a salesperson going to do? It's going to throw more business at you that you can't even stay with your head above water right now. So that's not always the best case to do. And But they think, I'm going to hire a salesperson. They're going to be commission only. And it's going to add revenue to my company. But what it's going to do is it's going to put you in a, a coffin quicker, quite honestly. It'll capsize you. Yep. It really will. The thing to do is to get that $10 and that $1 work off of your plate, which is look at hiring a VA, a part-time person, you know, part-time in-person, part-time virtual, part-time overseas, whatever you want to do. There's plenty of resources for that. Um, people can hit me up if they need some suggestions. But get those things off your plate so that you can free up, say, 50% of your time. So with 50% of your time, can you start saying yes to those claims that you had to say no to? Maybe you don't need to get a sales guy. Or now that that's open, you have more space. If you're the one, say, doing the estimating and the actual adjustment, now you have space in your day because you're 50% leaner on your time. Now you can bring in a, you know, a contingency only, a, you know, salesperson. And when they throw work at you, it's not going to get overlooked or dragged out or swept under the rug. And then you get bad customer service all over the place. So that's usually the route that I recommend with solopreneurs is off it back office help first, even if it's 10 hours, if it's one hour a week, two hours a week or two hours a day, whatever, I'm sorry, get that done. Maybe they follow up with all the emails, start to vet clients for you, you know, so it's not, you're not walking out and it's like two squirts of bleach on a carpet square, you know, like you figure out the process you need to get more time. And then once you get more time, once you get at least 70 or you get about 25% of your time back from having an assistant, then think about maybe bringing in a salesperson. Or if you love to do sales, think about bringing in somebody that can run the estimates for you so that you're not chained to a desk when you'd rather be out in the field. And if it's the opposite, just make sure that you're kind of getting what you need, but you can outsource that um, and build those fees into your claim for sure. Well, I mean, I am kind of a chronic procrastinator and I have been pretty transparent about the fact that I'm a procrastinator and it, it's a, it's a struggle that I deal with. And one of the things that I am most likely to procrastinate are the things that I hate doing just in general. Yeah. Okay. And so, and, and I think, and I think that anybody is susceptible to that and what that, what that begins to leach into is, is your time management and your motivation and your discipline and all of these things that become very, very, uh, they become very aware in your process. You know what I mean? And so when those things begin to degradate so to speak it because it causes you to move into this urgent mode you know what i mean and yeah. you're doing things in a snap decision sort of way i'm getting it, i'm getting ready to crank it out and these deadlines as they become to as they become to press down on you so to speak you're not giving them the best things that you actually are good at 
because you are so pressed for time in other areas. So, I mean, one of the pitfalls of being a, a solopreneur is is the time management, and the motivation and discipline that it takes. I was actually on the on the phone with my mom on the way to a loss yesterday and I was explaining to her, I was like, yeah, the thing is, is when you're by yourself, you wear a lot of hats. And the problem is, is when you're by yourself, you're wearing all the hats. And just because you've worked all day long, doesn't mean that the hat, one of those hats doesn't need some level of attention, whether it's, you know, the administrative burden of updating your files or the, or the, you know, going in, it's like, I now have to go in after I've been in the field all day. Now I have to sit down and label those photos, not because it's crucial, urgent to be done by the time I get up in the morning. It's that tomorrow's already full. And so if I don't do it now, so, you know, being able to outsource some of this stuff is, is, is really really key i and we're going to get into more of that in in round three um just final thoughts on being a solopreneur i told you it would go fast and it's like there's so much stuff here to talk about so Um, anyway final thought on this the hardest part about being a solopreneur in any industry especially this one because of what you have on the line that you're responsible for is accountability so if you don't you know, notate your pictures at the end of the night, who's going to yell at you? Nobody. Who's going to call you out on it? Nobody. But you're actually putting that claim in a detriment for not doing that work, right? So I think that that's the biggest point. And that's where even hiring in a VA, I just brought in uh, Destiny, who's been working with us almost six years, and I turned her into my executive assistant. And I don't want to look like an idiot every day when I talk to her. Did you do the thing yet? Did you do the thing yet? Because no one was asking me before, did you finish these tasks? These tasks need to get finished before they go on. I had no accountability. And now that Mm -hmm. I do, I actually work a lot faster. So Accountability is huge. I will tell you that, I mean, oh my God, that is the thing. And, you know, I find myself compensating for the lack of accountability a lot in my business. So, well, guys, that's going to wrap up round two. We're going to get into round three because it starts right after this. Are you a public adjuster, insurance roofer, or part of the restoration industry looking to streamline your first-party claims process? Let me introduce you to Claim Wizard, the ultimate tool that transforms the way you handle claims. Claim Wizard is designed with your unique business needs in mind. It offers a comprehensive suite of features that makes managing claims effortless. With its intuitive dashboard, you can easily track and manage every aspect of a claim from initiation to settlement. This powerful platform supports document management, automates workflows, and provides real-time updates, ensuring you stay ahead in the game. At Claim Wizard, they understand the importance of support. That's why they offer unmatched customer service with a team of experts who are always ready to assist you. Whether it's a technical query or guidance on best practices, Team Wizard is there to ensure your experience with Claim Wizard is smooth and efficient. Time is money, especially in the claims industry. Claim Wizard is engineered to maximize efficiency. It streamlines the entire claims process, reducing the time spent on paperwork and administration. This means faster claim resolution, increased customer satisfaction, and ultimately a boost in your business's productivity and profitability. So if you're looking to elevate your claims handling process, Claim Wizard is the solution. Try it today and experience a revolution in claims management. Claim Wizard, revolutionizing claims, handling one claim at a time. Round three, 
outsourcing versus hiring. Man, unfortunately, we've only got 15 minutes to really unpack this thing, even though we've gone over on every other round. Um, but but there's a, there's a lot of concerns and there's a lot of questions, especially as a solo guy or even just a company that may have five or six when we start looking and considering scalability of your current model, right? You know what I'm saying? And so I, I think that both outsource it's not kind of a, a an either or it's like how do these things work together you know in some places but uh, you know especially if you're trying to grow your business and one of the decisions that i made because i was a guy for the longest time lynette just to be honest with you i was a guy that was just happy being see my air quotes self-employed or another way to put that is i own my own job i wasn't really trying to grow a business so to speak because there's so much that goes into running and operating a business in an organization that i'm just not good at and so i didn't really want to be responsible or accountable for that and one of the biggest accountability issues that i had there was if i'm gonna hire somebody i feel the weight of okay their kids dinner at night depends on me their their christmas their rent all their car payments all of they are looking to me for their livelihood and for lack of a better term you are taking that person on to raise almost you know what i'm saying give me an anxiety attack here (laughs) i'm just telling you and i have been scared to death of hiring for that very reason, you know, and so you try to put these responsibilities on. It's like, well, you got to eat what you kill there, buddy, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you know, you're going to have to be this. You're going to have to be that. And you're going to have to. Am I going to have the money for this? And I'm like, because if we have a downturn, you know what I mean? And I think I think when you're kind of de- so I think the default is to go to outsourcing because that's a whole lot easier to stop subscribing to something rather than it is. It's like, you know, Jimmy, I really appreciate all the effort that you put in this year but um we're not going to be able to move forward because i can't afford you those are just tough embarrassing questions to have yeah you know and or or conversations not questions those are tough embarrassing conversations to have and you just don't want to get into that so i mean i'm gonna ask it's like how do we make these two things work together because i think even the largest of corporations still have to consider outsourcing versus hiring and the smallest the smallest entities have to consider outsourcing versus hiring so i think it's a pivotal conversation no matter where you are um in scale to to understand these things so um, how do you help your people when they're making some of these, you know, decisions and just outside of, you know, affordability necessarily? Because that's yeah, always it's not always money. It really it's right. not always. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't always have to have about money. So when you're getting a, a, an outsource and you're 1099ing someone, <laughs> there's a couple things that you actually have to take into consideration. And when I say this to some people, they're like, oh, hell no, 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 no. Mainly being. When you outsource to someone to do to, to do an exactimate, um, right? To to an estimate, you can you can determine and dictate what you want the final product to be and when you want it. But how they do it is completely up to them. If they do it at two o'clock in the morning because that's when they feel like it, they don't have to answer your phone calls. They don't have to do anything. They are required to give you a work product at the time, right? That that's stipulated, and that 
well, I like my things done this way and I want them to use a certain form. And I like when they, you know, no, if you outsource it, you get what you get. And I don't mean to sound like you're going to get garbage, but if you're hiring them for a specific skill, that's what they're going to give you. And if you want to go in there and micromanage them and tell them, well, this is how you have to do it, but I want you to get on the phone with the carrier and explain things. And that's probably not part of what they're doing. So if you want that much control, that's got to be an employee for sure. Amen. Come on. That's what that's, I mean, that is, it depends on the level of control that you want to have over the outcome. I think that that is huge. I think that that is one of the biggest things that I've seen because I have a friend who is a service provider, um, a very close friend that is a service provider that I recommended their services um, to another PA and this PA wanted to direct how this yeah. service was going to be delivered. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was, that was a real point of contention. And it's like, because I think at some level when I recommend, when, you know, when I referred them out that that they were going to kind of get how I handled things. And I realized a bunch of people handle things really differently than maybe that I would, because when I hire an expert or a service of some sort, generally I'm going in, it's like, I don't want to inform how this gets done. Either a, I'm not good enough at it. B I'm not, I, I, you know, I don't have time and I really want to delegate this off to somebody yeah. else. But I realize there's a lot of personalities that are very different than mine that may not like delegating and they want to have some sort of predetermined, predictable outcome in the situation. Yeah. But if that's what you want, then you need to look at an employee rather yeah. than an outsource, outsourcing. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And then, but there's benefits, right? So they're 1099. You don't have to worry about office space, phones benefits, um, company culture, cattiness in the office. Like there's none of that that has to go on, right? It's just you, you're booking them for a service and then they deliver you the product and you're kind of done. If you like it, you like it. I mean, obviously a professional is going to work with you and not be like, this is what you get, take it or leave it. Um, that sort of thing. But if you need that bigger control, then you're going to have to take, take the onus on. But as far as working about like how much, like, so when I work with public adjusters that are say branching out into different areas of the country or different types of buildings or different types of perils, um, say they're getting into commercial versus just resi or something, and they know a lot, but you know, they don't know enough to maybe do a full estimate on, you know, a five building hotel complex or something like that. They're going to outsource that. Like you would be doing everyone a disservice if you tried to take that nut on yourself when you really shouldn't be doing it. Take that, get it, review it, learn from it, you know, but you need to outsource as you're trying to expand. Um, If you're not sure if that new state's going to work out, maybe you just bring on some per diem people and see how it works. And if it does think about, you know, more permanent structures and if it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, So testing the waters and expanding is a really good use for using, um, hired or outsourced uh, people as well. Uh, in you hiring people, once you get to a certain volume, um, if you're keeping that one person busy all the time, it's not going to ring right for being outsourced if they only have one client that they're 1099ing to sort of thing. But you might want to think about bringing people in when you need more um, you know, cross-department compatibility. Oh my gosh, do I sound corporate? Please shoot me. Uh, and that sort of, <laughs> but, uh, I went back to corporate. Sorry. Sorry, guys. 
<laughs> but when you need people to interact more or you need to control the process or you need to control the narrative. Oh, see, I keep doing it. I keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that was the idea. You find it in your mouth I more finally, than you want to. <laughs> I find it there and I want to use it. But being able to hire, um, you've got more long-term, you have more loyalty. There's a lot of benefits. And honestly, hiring full-time, it will work out cheaper than outsourcing because your outsourcing price is basically building in all of those other things that you don't want to pay for, like health insurance and a phone into their fee. So um, that that definitely goes a long way. We, at our company, we hire everyone. So they're all in-house for us. Um, just we've tried in the past to do outsourcing and it didn't quite work for us only because we have a fairly complex product and it was really difficult for people to understand if they were only touching base once a week sort of thing to pick up the next project. So um, we, and that's, and that was way, way in the beginning, like 10 years ago, but you know, for us, it works better. We want to build a culture. We, we are very family first. That's our first motto in our companies, family first for us, family first for our clients, family first for our team, that sort of thing. So it just works better for us and how we're kind of wired to have employees. But I know people that are two people in a public adjusting firm, and they probably outsource 10, 15 different places and get the job done and probably handle as much as four or five adjusters could just because they outsource. And that's how they like to have it. They like the freedom. They like when, you know, cats aren't there that people, they're not laying them off. They're just going to like, yeah, we don't have work right now. And they can do that ebb and flow and be very comfortable with it. So you just have to kind of figure out kind of like what's in your gut or have a really good conversation with somebody like me that can help you figure that out. Well, let me, let me ask you this. And and I don't know if you've done this before, um, but like on the subject of like virtual assistants or more commonly referred to as VAs mm-hmm. now, te- now technically, technically I would call them an outsourcing effort yeah. because you're going through, um, you know, Upwork or, uh, you know, some, you know, many of the ones that are out there that you're inundated with advertisements or even more specialized ones, such as, you know, Brenda Hefner, our good friend, Brenda Hefner's, yeah. uh, company VA solutions, um, you know, when they have something that's a bit more directed and skilled into our niche that we're working in that understands maybe sort of, um, you know, the claims process at, at large, when do you, I mean, because I feel like you could have a long standing relationship. Our good friend Vince Perry has had long standing relationships yeah. with virtual assistants that are mm-hmm. overseas that are a part of what's going on. And I, you know, I don't know the inner workings of Vince's organization, whether he's paying a service or whether he hires those VAs directly, mm-hmm. you know, as a, you know, they move from a temporary status, you know, a, yeah. you know, more of a temporary permanent status into a full on permanent role where they're, you know, part of the payroll and they're not paid, being paid through a service. Um, you know, I think, I think figuring that out, have you in your different efforts, you know, either had an outsourced VA that you made permanent that still kind of sort of functions in that same role? Is there a place and do you know anything about kind of making that sort of transition? If my question well, makes sense. not not permanent, just because most of the VAs that I'm aware of either come from Venezuela or the um, Philippines, right? So oh. both are different, uh, di- different, I won't say different skill sets, but obviously the folks down in Venezuela, they have Spanish as a language, which helps a lot of our people in the 
beautiful country of Miami and Florida because they are their mm-hmm. own country. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> they're insane. <laughs> but the um, so even when you're using them, you're you're never going to hire. Trust me, you do not want to hire them as an actual U.S. employee. That is murderous and a nightmare. Even for us hiring people outside of our our nexus state of Texas is a pain. Um, talk to your CPA, talk to your law accountant. It's a hot mess. Don't do it. But the VAs over there, they have their own little businesses. So basically you're 1099-ing them and whether they're given to you by, uh, you know, okay, go in and, you know, what do you need? And we'll pick a VA for you. Okay. They didn't work. Okay. We'll pick another VA for you versus you going and finding the particular VAs. But one thing I will say in this industry is I've had extensive and my poor girl, Jen, I'm just, I'm just going to pray for her right now. We've had experience dealing with public adjusters, virtual assistants from overseas, and they don't know anything about insurance. They don't have insurance like we have in the States or US, Canada, Mexico. Like they don't have it. They're like, well, if my house burns down, I hope my neighbors like me because they'll help me rebuild it. Like they have no concept of insurance. So mm-hmm. they were getting VAs that they literally had to teach from the dirt layer up of every single thing they needed to do. And it was exhausting. It was time consuming. They didn't understand it themselves completely. So they didn't teach it correctly. Like it was a nightmare. So that's why I love Brenda's service because she's already got folks that understand public adjusters, right? So your learning curve is off. You're not paying someone to learn on your dime. Like they jump in and they know what a POL is. They know what a demand letter is. It's like, oh, hallelujah. Like they... A lot of public adjusters that work for larger companies, they don't even know the intricacies of what goes on behind the scenes. So when they leave and they start their own business, it's like an IA. They're like, oh, people just put stuff on my desk and I did it. And then I put it into the other bin and somebody else magically took it away. Now they have to do everything. So when you're kind of on your own and you have to teach an assistant of any sort, everything, like having somebody that's got some training under their belt is so much better. I I completely agree. Now, the VAs are really, really good, especially in the temporary sort of because you can provide some of that direction versus hiring that full outsource service. Mm-hmm. You because because if you're needing sort of that hybrid where you want to kind of control some of the outcome and be a little micromanagerial about it. Right. You know what I'm saying? But you don't really want to bring in a full time employee. So VAs create this in this enjoyable hybrid environment where I'm I'm just going to I'm going to throw out an example like um, like if you if you have a presentation or a training that you're going to be presenting and you need to do a PowerPoint presentation. Now, you've got all of the details, the thoughts, the outline, the points that you want to make. But getting a virtual assistant rather than doing it yourself to put together a PowerPoint presentation, you can farm that out to them, go through whatever many rounds of, of, of revisions to get that thing dialed in exactly like you want to do it. Because, you know, if I were going to do a PowerPoint presentation and Donna were not available, I would have to start with, so this is PowerPoint, you know, and I'm pretty good with, I'm pretty good with, with, with technology and software. But I mean, the last time that I utilized it at any kind of level was back in the late nineties or early two thousands. And there's been so much that's happened since then. And I just haven't really used it. And 
I mean, I have got so much software operations bouncing around in my head. I really don't care to use it. I, I don't, I, I want to get somebody that really knows how to make that thing hum. Yes. And so while I am going to, while I am going to, um, you know, be critical of the outcome there, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I'm going to say, Hey, I want it to look more like this and this thing's not moving right. And I want the, the, the letters to dissolve in and slide out rather than slide in and dissolve out, you know, those sorts of things that you may want to kind of, you know, have you know have that outcome in there vas are a really good bridge to that especially and then once the project's done it's done you you know and then if you've got something else that comes up obviously you've got a history there and it's nice to be able to go back and see if that person's still available um you know but as you scale i think you know kind of as you scale and these vas can help bridge that gap in scalability, I would think having not actually done it. So I don't want to just talk out of the side of my head here, but it would appear to me and I would assume that VAs really kind of help bridge that gap between I'm too afraid to hire somebody and we now we have enough work that I feel more comfortable about doing it. So yeah, and um, I do know people that have, even though they have more work, they still use a VA. So I look at this. So I know we're kind of always out of time. Think about outsourcing is on your business and in your business. So on your business is the outside, like the thing that actually has to make the company hum, right? That would be a VA. You can have more oversight in that. It's not like, oh, I need you to do my books or hire an accountant or a bookkeeper and they're going to do it however they want. That's not, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But when you hire someone to give you expert advice or materials in your business, in the actual thing of public adjusting, it's probably against your own best interest if you fight them every step of the way with their and with their work product that they're giving you. You're hiring them for a reason. So there's on and in your business for outsourcing for sure. Well, I in in so there's a lot of solutions here. There's a there's a ton of solutions here. There's I, I don't want to just completely move you away from hiring because there's a lot of culture that you can that you can mandate there. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, vision focus. These people you you can bring them in. They can be captured by your um you know your vision. There's the 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 loyalty and the long term stability that comes with actually hiring an organization. But you know you can't just unless you are you're flushed with cash or an incredible amount of capital that can be very difficult so mm-hmm. one of the things that i just want to advise people on and recommend because the little bit that i've researched didn't know about it if you're a solopreneur and you and you can get it as a budgetary item strongly consider coaching if you haven't gone through any strongly consider coaching um, and getting help with some direction. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, I know, I know lots of coaches out there that are happy to do one or two sessions and it, and it doesn't have to be this extended thing like therapy. It can be something that it's like, Hey, let me get, get me off the launch pad and just get some advising, get some advice in those areas. So, um, you know, reach out to, to, you know, Lynette, Actually, she said that she does. She's a clockwork coach, so above and beyond claim wizard. So, Lynette, how would people get a hold of you if they're interested in some kind of coaching? And obviously, if they're interested in claim wizard, what uh, would be the steps there? <laughs> claim wizard is easy. Claimwizard.com. Coaching is easy. It's lynetteyoung.com. See, that's it. 
<laughs> well, man, that is that is super easy. Super and uh, easy. Um, Lynette and I, you know, while I have been a Claim Wizard client for a while, Lynette and I actually met, I believe, at the American Policyholders Association Summit that, that we had right. back yeah. in back in November. And then again, got to spend some time together at RoofCon, and she is going to be a big part of what I'm excited about, which is coming up on March the 5th. It is Control the Narrative, guys. Tickets are moving, I'm telling you. So don't delay, don't wait. Get over to RemedyClaims.com slash register or slash training, not register, slash training to register um, for your spot for Control the Narrative. And the following week... And I want to make sure that I get the dates right here. It is going to be the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th. Yeah. Claim Wizard right here in Dallas at the same location of Win the Storm. Where is that? What is that actual location, Lynette? Uh, I don't remember. It's not actually. I couldn't get with them. It's like three miles up the road. But it's we're okay. doing tra- okay. Claim Wizard software training, so not the consulting part, for free for two days. And I should probably set up a landing page for that. <laughs> <laughs> but you could always hit me up at lyoung at claimwizard.com and I'll send you the info. And anyone that registers, if they want free tickets for the floor for when the storm, I worked out a deal too. Awesome. So guys, space for that is incredibly limited as well. Yeah, so we're getting really space close in, already. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> control the narrative, limited, limited space. Um, Claim Wizard training. I'm going to be at that. I've already registered for both of those events, believe it or not. Um, um, just all of this space is limited. You don't want to miss these opportunities. Um, and, uh, man, I, I, I just want to say thank you so much for Lynette for, uh, to Lynette for coming on the rumble. It has been absolutely and incredibly enlightening guys. If you've enjoyed this episode, I want to remind you to click like, and subscribe. And if you think it would be beneficial to one of your counterparts out there, please take some time to share it with them. But in the, but we will be back next week. And in the meantime, stay ready. So you don't have to get ready and we will see you on the next Next one.